Hello and welcome once again to Yesterladies. Heather. Dana. What's our topic today? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> our topic today is polyandry. Ooh. Ooh. And I feel like there's a lot of people out there kind of scratching their heads. But <laughs> before we tell you what polyandry is, mm. I will say I chose it. You gave me a few options of different things that we could do <laughs> for topics. today, different topic options. And uh, I chose this one because it's sexy. It is sexy. Yeah. I think it's especially sexy for us ladies. <laughs> that's the thinking anyway <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> all right what is polyandry heather okay so if you dear listener have not heard of polyandry before uh it is when one woman takes more than one husband at a time so i think i think most people are a little more familiar with the concept of polygamy poly- oh god now i'm forgetting <laughs> okay you're thinking of polygyny, but most people just call it polygamy. Right. So, but we need to define. Okay. So polygamy yes. is the blanket term that refers yes. to um, multiple partners right. in so a marriage. Right. So it could be one man with multiple women mm-hmm. or one woman with multiple men. Right. So basically, if you're not just on a one-on-one basis, it's polygamy. Polyandry is if a woman has multiple men. And, and polygyny is when a man has multiple women. Correct. Right. So polygyny. Polygyny, there we go, is what what you see on like Big Love and like Sister Wives and all of those kinds of things. Um, Polyandry, I think, is much more interesting. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) But there hasn't really been any like pop culture uh, um, TLC shows about it. Exactly. I'm waiting for Netflix to come out with like a Netflix special on polyandry. Well, yeah. (laughs) I think they totally should. Uh, Brother husbands. Brother husbands. (laughs) That sounds really stupid. I mean, Sister Wives no, sounds, I think it kind sounds of great. stupid, too. I mean, just like the, the title. Oh, yes. I don't know why Brother Husband, because we're not used to it. Right. Like, we're like, okay, Sister Wives, but Brother Husbands does sound really stupid, but it shouldn't. It shouldn't. <laughs> Although, uh, historically, polyandry has been much less common than mm-hmm. polygyny. Although, Although, as we will get into, yes. so yes, polyandry um, in our um, kind of evolutionary and cultural heritage has been uh, less common than um, polygyny uh, or just, you know, one-on-one marriage as we're kind of used to in, in Western culture in general. Um, but it turns out that it was more common than previously thought. Still rare, but definitely it happened more than anthropologists have thought in the past. And there's kind of a little bit of a history of a little misogyny mm. in there. We're just throwing in all the... Igonies and Angies and whatever, <laughs> Andries and whatnot. You're going to leave this episode with your head spinning. You really are. <laughs> I'm, my head is already spinning, <laughs> to be honest. Very nice. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, maybe a little etymology will, will clear I this up. I think that would help. Oh, oh, etymology. Etymology. Do we need well, to define what etymology is? The meaning of words. There you go. Where, the source of words. Yes. Correct. <laughs> so the term polyandry comes from the Greek for poly, many, and andros, men. So many men. You have many men. <laughs> you are practicing polyandry. <laughs> yeah, that's the general idea. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, All right. So as Dana kind of hinted, uh, there was an accepted sort of anthropological story for uh, how polyandry worked and how it had worked through history. And uh, recently an article came out that kind of kind of challenged this view. So um, if you are an anthropologist or if you were an anthropology student or took a course, you might have learned about uh, polyandry as very rare and historically very rare as well. That in the like 
span of human history, um, polyandrous societies were rare as hen's teeth and yeah. uh, you would and almost are, never come across them. We'll get into, you know, some of those examples kind of through history and modern examples, but from what I understand from the, uh, the articles we were looking at, it seems like in general, um, polyandrous, um, societies tended to be limited to like, there's an area of Tibet that, was this was fairly common in in various societies and then um certain areas of china and india and those tended to be what the um the article that heather's referring to which is a, a scholarly article a journal article um in the study they did they referred to those as the classical examples of polyandry which threw me off at first because <laughs> when they were saying classical examples i was thinking well do they mean like classics as in like greek and roman like or like ancient history like is that what they mean but no 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 they just mean kind of like within the history of anthropology those are the classical cited examples of polyandry in anthropology <laughs> yes, <laughs> if that, that makes sense and that area is called the tibetan plateau mm -hmm. and there are about maybe a dozen cultures that live in that area and you're right it's made up of tibet china and india and it's sort of this like really high mountainous um arid region where it's hard to grow crops and uh, there's these sort of like little villages clinging to to sustenance so that gets us into why um do polyandrous i'm like i'm sorry the, the terms i don't know why i'm struggling so hard but that's why i'm like slowly speaking because i'm like okay polyandry polyandrous <laughs> Okay, so, <laughs> so uh, Heather, tell us why mm -hmm. these types of marriage relationships tend to spring up and in what types of uh, cultures they tend to happen. All right, so there's usually sort of a cluster of features that we see where polyandrous societies are more likely to happen, and they don't always happen in these situations, but when we see them happening, it's almost always because some of these features occur. So they often happen in hunter-gatherer societies um, that have very little hierarchy. So they're they're sort of like more basic or they're less simple complex. cultures without yeah. a lot of bureaucracy. Yeah, absolutely, and, and um, um, not a lot of like uh, um, class distinctions. Correct. Yes, and they and the most common feature is that they often occur where there's poor cropland or uh, scarce resources. So basically where it's hard to make a living, uh, it becomes advantageous to have more than one husband uh, because you can kind of pool resources and you have like more people to chip into the work of keeping this family unit alive, um, which makes sense, right? If you, if you think about pooling resources, this kind of right. thing. And then um, the other uh, reason that I was seeing was that, um, it's a way to kind of keep a tract of land within a family. Okay. And one other, one other <laughs> thing I wanted to point I was all excited to like delve into this topic thinking like, oh, this will be like, I don't know, you know like, women being like strong and powerful <laughs> and like, you know, choosing yeah. multiple yeah, husbands yeah. because they want, <laughs> um, it sounds like most of the time it's still more of this like paternalistic, like, um, her husbands are kind of chosen for her by the first husband and like, she's the property of multiple men rather than the property of just one man, at least historically speaking. And yeah, so it's yeah. not quite as empowering as I had been hoping. <laughs> it's not, it's not polyandry the way you and I would run polyandry. Yeah. We, I think that's we it, right? Yeah. Multiple husbands. <laughs> we would not be operating this quite the same as it operates yeah. in these traditional cultures. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there was a really cool comparison with 
um, like you got into keeping land together, right? And that was a big issue for all cultures, right? It's always an issue when you have multiple children and you have to decide how to divide up your land if you divide it. And so they were saying European cultures had primogenitor, right? Where the firstborn, usually male, inherited everything and then all the younger kids were kind of like well figure you're it gonna out go for be yourself. a minister and yeah. you're gonna go off and yes. fight in the crusades <laughs> right so they said the you're options be a were you can be celibate as a priest like you can yeah. join the priesthood or join a nunnery um or you can yeah go off and be an explorer it's basically like get out of the picture or stop having kids because we don't want to split up our land um and in polyandry this way brothers um particularly and it seems like it's commonly practiced between brothers in a family um this way the brothers can inherit all the family land together work it all together um, which does seem like a very sort of economically uh, wise decision uh do all the work together and um and, and it then still stays the, within the family line yeah, the because land you've got one fragmented. woman right right giving birth to all, children all the who, children who right yeah. considered all you know part of that family lineage right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um absolutely so i thought you know if you look at it that way the european practice of primogenitors you really get shafted as a younger sibling because it's like okay yeah. well you don't have any kids yeah. <laughs> don't go off and start your own line you know we, we already have our like leader of the pack here so. you can be like an impoverished you know barrister maybe <laughs> right, right. with like seven children and, <laughs> and it makes me think of the movie frozen where the main character is being mm. courted by the young, youngest of like 12 brothers or right, something right, right. there's that yeah. line about like i well, have 12 older brothers or and that's yeah that was often the case right that like younger sons would be trying to find um wealthy wives right. to kind of set themselves up because they weren't <laughs> inheriting right the estate from the 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 father so, right yeah. right so you know this seems like kind of a almost a fair way of doing things right yeah. this way the family goods and the family property can go to more than one of their kids and you didn't like win the, the genetic lottery by being born first yeah <laughs> as, as, and if you're first born it's kind of a dud <laughs> it, might, it might be good too right yeah and then that way they, yeah there's kind of like more people looking out for the family estate i guess and right. so that yeah, actually when you look at it that way i think it does make more sense than primogeniture right as a purely economic uh, system mm-hmm. at least it's a little more fair to yeah. the subsequent yeah. siblings of a family so yeah i thought that was pretty neat um and then you avoid your land getting really fragmented right because mm-hmm. there are some cultures and countries that have run into that where you're inheriting like one tiny field and it's just not enough you can't subsist on what you can grow on that field so so you avoid that issue as well yeah so um some of the other reasons that we see polyandry crop up is areas where you have a high ratio of men to women um and we were kind of joking when we were texting about this episode saying like well if you listen to our last or one of our last episodes the fille du roi <laughs> there is a huge uh population of men with very few women and i wonder if there was any sort of unrecorded off the books everyone turns a blind mm. eye um polyandry going on there you well, know that's an in interesting 16th question. century france right it'll yeah. be something to look into i don't know that's uh, they were pretty open <laughs> with the idea of like you know um well if you started an engagement then you could you could leave off it or even like kind of divorce somebody without <laughs> right. a lot of consequences. That was pretty atypical for, for the time period. But I don't know. I think, <laughs> you know, French Catholic, the, the 16th century, power of monogamy or, uh, 17th was... century. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that that's a bit of a stretch. I suppose you never know. I think there would be very rare. I think there would be isolated cases. Mm-hmm. And, Maybe. Uh, but, you know, who knows? In the backwoods, you might get desperate. In the backwoods. A couple of French brothers. <laughs> You know, you know, you never know. Um, and uh, yeah, so those are some of the features where you'd see polyandrous societies kind of show up. Um, so the 
the party line in anthropology up to this point was, okay, we know that there's classical, classical, sorry, polyandry in this Tibet plateau. And there might be like a rare example somewhere else here or there in the world, but that's about it. That's all we know. And because it's so rare today, the argument was that it was also rare historically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so evolutionarily and evolutionarily. Right. And like, this doesn't benefit evolution. You're getting fewer children. And, uh, there was also a very sexist bent to mm-hmm. this, um, because not that anthropologists were trying to be sexist about it or that, or that, I don't know, it, it wasn't but like an attempted. Is, right. But I, I think this is another great example of why even when, <sighs> inherent sexism is not intentional Mm -hmm. and like nobody means anything by it. This is the kind of thing that tends to happen when you don't have diverse viewpoints in a field, right? Yeah. So when anthropology is so many science and well, all of most professions really Mm -hmm. up until very, very recently in human history were so dominated by men um, and, you know, science dominated by white men. So, you know, without meaning to, of course, their preconceived notions creep into it and their worldview influences their work as it does with all of us. And that's not saying mm-hmm. anything against these men. I mean, some of them may have been, you know, sexist jerks. <laughs> and some of them might be very open-minded. Right. But, but this is why you need women in, I mean, this is one of the reasons you need <laughs> uh, women in, in all fields because, women, you know, may have looked at these examples of polyandry or, or examples of other, uh, societies and, and defined things differently. And from their perspective, seen things a little bit differently. So because anthropology up until pretty recently was very much dominated by white men, they had a hard time understanding, well, you know, polyandry just doesn't really make sense. So we just, we're not seeing it much. And it all kind of got down to this one guy making this one very narrow definition. (laughs) I don't know if you were going to go into that. No, I was just going to say that the academic view was that there would be very little benefit to polyandry, that they were basically the male anthropologists passing along this typical line about polyandry were going, well, what would be the benefit of a woman having multiple husbands? Right. right. And it all kind of um, dates back to the the one guy I was kind of talking <laughs> about. So in 1957, this anthropologist named George Murdoch, who that was kind of a familiar name to me. I mm. feel like he's a pretty seminal okay. figure in the history of anthropology. <laughs> um, so in 1957, he defined polyandry uh, as in a very important mm. text as unions of one woman with two or more husbands where these types of union are culturally favored and involve residential as well as sexual cohabitation, which is a quite narrow definition. So he's saying for polyandry to be defined, for it to exist, um, it has to be culturally favored, meaning it has to be the predominant and, and, and favorite, Mm. um, marriage relationship in a culture. Um, but using a strict definition like that would, you could accurately say that polyandry was extremely rare because almost no cultures have polyandry as the dominant and most preferred form of family life. But if you open up that definition, to um and oh and then it kind of it it was kind of taken further as additional anthropologists kind of took his work and ran with it and that whole um 
rarely culturally favored definition kind of permeated or uh, permutated into rarely permitted. Mm. So that kind of got it even narrower, but they're saying this is what this um, we'll get into this, this article. I think that you already mentioned Mm -hmm. that was pretty recent that these two anthropologists were kind of redefining how we look at um, polyandry and saying, no, if you kind of open it up and say, okay, well, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are living together on a long-term basis. Um, it doesn't, you can, you can have polyandry where it's not necessarily the dominant or the favored, uh, the ultimately favored form of marriage in a culture. It's much more widespread than, Mm -hmm. than anthropologists have thought up till this point. And that's, I mean, much more widespread. This is still, as we said at the top of the show, this is still a pretty, um, rare, um, form of marriage in, in human history and still today, of course. Right. Absolutely. So the two researchers that kind of broke this story wide open were uh, Catherine Starkweather and Raymond Hames, and they published a paper called A Survey of Non-Classical Polyandry. So this is where we move away from this one example or a couple examples in the Tibetan plateau. plateau, uh, Because what these two did, uh, Starkweather and Hames, they did a a sort of a meta-survey of all the research out there, and they found quite a few examples, like far, far more examples than they had anticipated in the literature, in, in anthropolo- anthropological research, sorry. And, uh, and they found it all over the world, right? They were finding examples in North America and in South America and in areas that they had never anticipated, even in the Arctic, right? Um, in Inuit groups, this, this would happen. And the difference, though, is that they found, like you said, it wasn't the preferred form or the, do- the dominant form of marriage, um, but it was an acceptable form. Mm-hmm. Um, acceptable so, and at times necessary because of the reasons right. we talked about earlier. Right. And they saw it as kind of an adaptation to an environment. So where, you, particularly where you get cultures in um, environments of scarcity, polyandry starts cropping up as a, as a you know, a, um, what's the word I'm looking for? As um, an adaptation or right. an adaptive yeah. measure to yeah. your environment. So they were saying, if you look at it that way, it's far more common than we expected. Um, they thought we're finding it in hundreds of different cultures in different times, in different places all over the world. And so they were saying this is a much more common human trait than previously anticipated. Uh, and by the same token, they said, well, if we can extrapolate this back in human history, uh, polyandry was probably far more common throughout human history than people were previously being taught in your classic anthropology course, right? So they were saying, again, it probably wasn't ever extremely common and there may not have been a society that was like, yeah, you know, (laughs) all the women take multiple ladies or whoa, whoa, whoa. Where was that culture? We're talking about the Amazons, (laughs) right? Amazons, right? And then like the island of Lesbos. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All the women take all the men. (laughs) So, um... Yeah, the, the, that culture may still not <laughs> exist, but uh, they were saying we can we can speculate that perhaps this was more common through history than people are are usually taught. Mm-hmm. So so uh, you know they've really sort of opened up yeah. this interesting is, vista. Again, I think it. I just find it so interesting that this is such an interesting example of um, bias in mm. in science and in um, cultural um, the cultural sciences, social sciences, I should say. Um, and again, it's like, to me, it's like, this is such a great example of why diverse viewpoints are so important. Mm, yeah. And, uh, I mean, even the fact that we have to define polyandry for listeners, when if we had said polygamy, they would probably have yeah, an idea of yeah. what it is. You know, like you said, there aren't any TLC shows about families with one wife and multiple husbands. <laughs> no, I mean, to be fair, the literature does 
you know, all the anthropologists seem to agree that um, polygyny is, has been, it really has been much more common Correct. throughout human history um, than polyandry ever was, for yes. sure. Yes. Um, As I was reading through some of the research that we were doing for this article, um, I kind of was fermenting this like theory in the back of my head. And uh, I've I've come up against this when I've read about um, polygyny in other cultures, right? Um, I was I was listening to an audiobook about the history of the Obama family, which was really interesting. They were going through some of the history of Kenya and like like migrations of all these different peoples within Africa, and it was fascinating. Um, and polygyny is extremely common in a lot of those cultures within Africa uh, that they were discussing. And uh, I really got the sense that women are seen as... Um, uh, a possession, but mm. a status symbol. And basically, if you can afford a wife or if you can afford multiple wives, it's a way of demonstrating your wealth, right? Mm-hmm. It's conspicuous consumption and it raises your status symbol in your culture. And so I was like, ah, you know, back again to this idea of women as possession. Um, but this also applies to polyandry because say you're a pair of brothers, you could pool your resources to afford a wife, whereas each of you separately might not have been able to or been able to support a wife and then the children that you mm-hmm. may have. Um, you know, this way, it's like, it's almost like roommates sharing an apartment. Like you mm-hmm. can't afford an apartment in New York by yourself. So you get a roommate. So the two of you can pull your resources and get something you couldn't afford on your own. And Which is like, again, oh really God, sad. it I is was really sad. That this was yeah. going to be like, yeah, like I said earlier, I'm like, oh, it's just be so empowering, but it's really not. It's kind it's of just not. been like another <sighs> way for men to own women. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And the brother's example, uh, so that's called fraternal uh, uh, polyandry, when two or more brothers, like a whole group of brothers, which seems weird. Uh, I guess it's all seems weird. Well, but. there was one, in one of the articles we read, there was a, some artwork from, I don't know when, some, something fairly ancient. And it yeah. was an image of a woman with like five husbands <laughs> and they were all brothers. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, uh, so these brothers would, could even go in together and kind of decide, like pick their wife together. So they're, you know, like going out shoe shopping, like going out wife shopping, you know, together. Oh dear. Communal so, wife. Um, and one article that I read was a, an interview with a modern family, uh, living in the Tibetan plateau. So they lived, um, in a very remote village in India, quite high up in the mountains. And, and it's the kind of place where, um, just the law kind of doesn't apply because while polyandry is not legal in India, no one is enforcing the law in this town. And they've been living this way for hundreds of years and like basically just no one is going to bother so everything is working fine so they're all um i think it was about 200 people in the village everyone is just fine with polyandry and these two brothers had um decided that they would take a wife together and the situation has been very stable and they've had multiple children and you know everyone's sort of like happy and things are functional um but yeah they talked about that and their sons now are continuing the family tradition and so the two of the brothers were like yeah we've already decided what what girl we're gonna marry together and i was like oh god Did she so, get it? yeah i don't know how much say she got in it so i thought oh dear but their um daughter had also kind of suggested that she would probably go that route as well so mm-hmm. you know yeah um interesting I, yeah i'm not sure how much choice was involved but i also was really amused because this article they were interviewing each spouse about the experience of being in a marriage like this and uh they were talking to the wife she has two husbands who are brothers and they were saying like you know how how is your life like how do you get along and she goes oh we argue all the time <laughs> she said, there's a lot of fighting and they asked her what they fight about and she said chores <laughs> Which completely goes against my expectations. I know, yeah, okay, yeah. so yeah, when we were talking about this and Heather was like, oh yes, the idea of having more than one husband, and of course I'm like, tee-hee-hee, titter-titter, and she, and she immediately like, oh, more people to share the chores. I was like, really? That's 
that's the first thing that comes into your head. <laughs> it just shows that I'm like, oh, I've been married for a while. I'm like, the, the fun of marriage is worn off. I'm like, ah, oh, this is two guys to cut the lawn. And like, oh help God. me with the cooking. You know, like, this is ridiculous. We have one person to watch the kid, one person to do the yard work, and one person to wash the, clean the bathrooms. I was like, this is great. It, I was literally just like, it's another pair of hands to help out, which really economically in a lot of these situations, yeah, that's kind of what it, it comes down to. So yeah. I was like, well, I've got the realistic, you know, groundwork of why you would get into this arrangement so but i yeah, chose Dana's this episode like, because i thought it would be sexy and basically it's like no no it's about like sharing um chores, chores. <laughs> yeah. and they love that the thing they argued about the most was chores, chores yeah. and then they they asked um how they organized their their um their sex life basically and they said well they have to take shifts so they like plan it out and uh and you know one man gets one night and the next man gets the next night and they said without a schedule things would be chaos and they <laughs> and they would fight all the time but they said they have to be careful not to be jealous of each other and to like control their emotions and i thought that was interesting too that yeah you have to kind of train yourself to yeah. be okay with that yeah. so yeah yeah all right so now that we've kind of given you the the background anthropologically speaking <laughs> on polyandry um we've got you know kind of a list here of examples uh throughout history and kind of currently um around the world where we see examples of, of polyandry so i like there's just little kind of things here that i quite like um so among the i'm gonna butcher this uh Irigway, Irig- way <laughs> like I'm, sounding, I'm saying it like north american but uh northern nigeria there's a, a group where women have traditionally acquired numerous spouses called co-husbands nice. which i think that's very nice mm-hmm. um so and then um in uh um oh gosh now this is another tough one uh in guanches from gran canaria I'm not even sure. I know this is in Africa, but I couldn't tell you exactly where. Uh, So apparently they practiced polyandry before they were conquered by the Spanish. And according to the Europeans, during a great famine in the 14th or 15th century, girls were killed after, um, after being born because they were having problems with, Hmm. um, I I don't know, maybe too many girls or something Hmm. or girls weren't prized enough or whatever. It doesn't really say why. Um, but this, of course, resulted in too many men and a shortage of women. Mm-hmm. So this ended up leading to the adoption of polyandry. And apparently women were allowed to marry a maximum of five men, <laughs> which seems like a lot. So I just find it interesting <sighs> that like they were literally killing baby girls because they thought they had too many women. Right. And then they ended up with this problem, the opposite <laughs> problem, where now they're like, oh, well, we can have five husbands to make up for It just seems so short-sighted. It like, is short-sighted. Within 20 years, you're I going know. to have a huge issue here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's horrible. It is horrible. And short-sighted. Right. Yeah. If anything, you can just kill an equal number of you know or just male not kill and anybody so i don't want you to kill any babies but if you have to kill babies kill like just boys and yes, girls yes, yes. just not gonna work out otherwise really oh short-sighted um so again in africa um in a very recent example and i think this is kind of just a standalone little situation uh in kenya in august of 2013 two um men agreed to marry one woman who they had both been seeing Mm -hmm. i guess and i think that they may have been brothers but it sounds like this was this is still pretty uncommon and apparently kenyan law doesn't explicitly forbid polyandry but it's not a common custom so Mm -hmm. it's interesting i don't we should have looked up i don't know what the law i think here in canada 
polygamy so like right. multiple husbands or multiple wives right. is illegal right right it is yes, right okay correct. so polyandry yeah. is illegal as well as polygamy but polygamy, it sounds like yeah. in kenya that's not the case it's correct. not culturally acceptable necessarily but it's not outlawed there were some maps that i saw that had like a global view of where polygamy was accepted and it was legal in certain countries so there's a big sort of cluster in like north um eastern africa and uh, there were some cultures where while it wasn't um wasn't necessarily outlawed it like wasn't practiced or places where it's against the law but no one enforces it so it still happens and then countries where it was just straight out illegal um so polygamy in either form is illegal. Um, and what I found is that many of the countries that allow polygamy have made that kind of sexist assumption of this is always going to be polygyny, um, always men having more than one wife. And so they haven't made polyandry legal because they haven't even really considered it. Kind of mm-hmm. the way that homosexuality was illegal in many countries up until recently and still in some, but they don't even really have like a term or a legal status for lesbian relationships right. because it's not even considered to be like it's not even considered to exist or like it's it's just not even on the legal spectrum right so interesting yeah very interesting and so while that could be seen as kind of progressive like well you ladies do whatever you want you know we're not gonna restrict that it's really not it's just Mm. that they didn't even consider it to be a possibility possibility. right Right. (laughs) again speaks to like who's writing these laws (laughs) yes so Um, i think um laws about polyandry have kind of fallen into that same mm, situation because it, it was a lot of the um the African countries where um, uh, polygyny is very widely practiced that were also like, well, you know, it's polyandry is legal here, (laughs) but societally, I think it very, very rarely happens because the opposite is usually true. So interesting. Um, So another example in Asia, uh, the Hephthalites, and I'm not sure, unfortunately the source I'm looking at doesn't really say when this was, it sounds like this is an older source, this quote, but I'm just going to, Um, quote this little passage from somebody because it's pretty great. Um, The practice of several husbands to one wife or polyandry was always the rule, which is agreed on by all commentators. That this was plain was evidenced by the custom among women of wearing a hat containing a number of horns, one for each (laughs) of the subsequent husbands, all of whom were also brothers to the first husband. Indeed, if a husband had no natural brothers, he would adopt another man to be his brother so that he would be allowed to marry his wife. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that great? (laughs) So I guess literally, if you have a lot of husbands, you're very horny. Ah. that was awesome so bad that's great heather yes really really great (laughs) i'd also like to point out um we didn't mention this earlier when we're kind of talking about the theory but in these cultures no one is seen as cheating or being cheated upon so even though you might have multiple husbands you might and they might even be brothers um no one's being cuckolded or no one is being adulterous as long as you're sticking to the men that you are married to right so you know it kind of takes a bit of the the drama out of the situation (laughs) um so another example from asia in sri lanka uh, apparently fraternal polyandry is permitted under kandian marriage law um which it's often described using a euphemism uh and i don't know if i'm saying (laughs) that right but we'll just go with that which means eating in one house (laughs) Isn't that great? I really like that. It's kind of the definition of a family, right? Yeah. <laughs> so examples in Europe, of course, are like pretty old mm. because, you know, Western culture for a very long time, um, you know, with a couple notable exceptions, uh, polygamy in general has not been accepted. True. Um 
apparently in ancient Greece, specifically Sparta, Plutarch, our famous Mm. friend, the historian (laughs) Plutarch, wrote... Thus, if an older man with a young wife should take a liking to one of the well-bred young men and approve of him, he might well introduce him to her so as to fill her with noble sperm and then (laughs) adopt the child as his own. (laughs) Conversely, a respectable man who admired someone else's wife noted for her lovely children and her good sense might gain the husband's permission to sleep with her, thereby planting in fruitful soil, so to speak, (laughs) and producing fine children who would be linked to fine ancestors by blood and family. <laughs> the first example sounds like just a convenient solution for erectile dysfunction. <laughs> like, you're not knocking up your young wife, so we'll pull in somebody else to do the job. That's amazing. <laughs> um, also, kind of among uh, this is Roman times, but according to Julius Caesar, I don't know where he was getting his info from, but according to him, he thought it was customary among the ancient Britons for brothers and apparently sometimes even fathers and sons Ooh. to share wives. Mm-hmm. Which that's quite an quite an interesting image. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I came across the father and son sharing, and I was like, "Oh, oh, oh <laughs> that seems like even one step further." Now, now it's intergenerational yeah. women sharing. <laughs> I think because there would be an inherent age gap, suddenly it gets a little odder to our sensibilities. Mm. <laughs> yeah, uh, your your second last example there about about the trying to make fruitful children uh, kind of brought up the topic of what about the kids in these relationships? Mm-hmm. Um, and we ran into some really fun. Oh yes. You have to tell yeah. about this. Yeah. So we ran into some fun facts about um, how these cultures who do practice or, or um, are supportive of the practice um, of polyandry deal with the kids of these relationships, because how would you know who the father is and, and does that matter? And how do you deal with it if you don't? Um, so there were some cultures that really don't put a lot of emphasis on the biological parentage of the kids. And so they basically said, you know, if there's, two fathers in the picture and a mother it doesn't really matter who is the biological father because everyone is caring for the child and often these are cultures without a lot of bureaucracy so biological parentage of children is just not as really important right it's, yeah it's not much, yeah. um and many of these cultures especially historically wouldn't have been able to determine um, biological parentage anyway so it's just like not, <laughs> not well thing. um but there was one culture that we right, found okay. that was really i didn't want you to forget about yeah, this no, don't, worry, don't worry don't worry um so there was one culture that like blew our minds when we read it um so they believed that a pregnancy is sustained by multiple semen contributions so uh, you require sort of a constant influx of genetic material <laughs> and so if a pregnant woman is sleeping with multiple men during her pregnancy that all of the men she slept with and herself have all contributed genetic material to this child. And so it it literally is the child of more than one man. And so you can have sex with, you know, your two or three husbands and they're all literally the The father father of your child. Um, And so so we thought that was pretty open-minded. Yeah. So (laughs) cool. Uh, Very, very interesting. Yeah. And it was (laughs) as legitimate as we would consider, you know, just a uh, one father and one mother parentage to yeah, be. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and there were other cultures that dealt with this. So, um, some cultures recognize dual fatherhood. So it's like a completely legitimate and recognized situation to have two fathers for a child in addition to a mother. So it's mm-hmm. not like, you know, we would say like have a, um, a gay married couple who have a kid. So you have two dads. This was like, you have a mom and two dads. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, this is what I think would be really fun to be a kid to be like, I have two dads yeah. and a mom. Like, 
um, and what I really thought was interesting is that in those situations where you have dual fatherhood, the children of those dual fathers are statistically much more likely to survive and thrive. It was something like they were 53% more likely to, to survive. survive to, to Yeah, to, yeah. thank you, to 15. Um, and this really makes sense when resources are scarce, mm-hmm. which is when we see polyandry come about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where my like example comes up. And I was like, well, you know, like if I'm someone living on social assistance and I can get two guys to pay me uh, you know, child support, like my kid is going to be better off. I mean, this is a silly That's example. Terrible. It is a terrible <laughs> example. I, I'm not uh, about scamming men for, for child support. But, you know, economically, <laughs> if you have more than one father contributing to your child's welfare, it would, you know, things would be better for the child. Maybe not emotionally, not in our culture, but in a culture where this is accepted, you can definitely see where two contributing dads is going to make a difference. Yes. Okay. I think you've dug yourself out of that hole. But I mean, come on, like you you had to think that when you read it. I wasn't thinking it. (laughs) Um, But yes, certainly more parents uh, are beneficial, I would think, to, uh, to one kid, just more more people to share the work as you, as you had previously mentioned. More help with the homework. Yeah. More help with the homework. So in the end, not as sexy as I promised. I'm sorry. <sighs> I really thought this was going to be like a female version of the harem. Like if a male harem and you go in and there's always. But then remember the harem wasn't as sexy as we thought it would not. be either. But it was so much sexier than polyandry. Well, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to leave you with a view of the possible future of polyandry yeah. ladies. And you know, the always bronzed, very fit men who, who you've chosen for their charm and their intellect and their conversational abilities we'll just reiterate that what we truly want (laughs) is a democratic and fair society where neither women nor men are (laughs) dominant (laughs) and everyone is prized for their skills and exactly you know talents and knowledge (laughs) as opposed to their physical appearance right just to reiterate that is the official <laughs> viewpoint of yesterday's don't listen to her <laughs> i know some of you are with me with the sexy, sexy man harem well i mean anyway, anyway. <laughs> on that note i think i don't think i have anything further do you nope that's everything oh actually i d- sorry oh, to cut oh. in i did have one one example so some some writers were speculating about could this happen could we have modern examples of like contemporary polyandry um in a in a modern industrialized society and uh when they pointed out the killing all the female babies they said there are some societies that have um had selective well right yeah china and right? india do china have india. problems it, with not enough girls yeah they have this skewed gender ratio mm-hmm. and so they said could polyandry arise in these societies and the sort of um expert opinion is well not likely because these are very complex hierarchical societies with and, a lot of bureaucracy right and it's unlikely to, that this would be the case but you never know so if this becomes a thing you heard it first on there you go Master ladies yep so hey china and india if you know that's one possible solution to <laughs> your problems with uh, lack of gender uh, balance you can look into polyandry look into polyandry Let's all look into polyandry. <laughs> That's our motto. That's right. Uh, on that note, <laughs> uh, we'll close our episode for today. And I will reiterate, as always, that um, we'll be posting the resources that we've used to uh, prepare for this episode on our website, yesterladies.com. Of course, you can also find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash yesterladies. You can find us on Twitter, where our handle is at yesterladies. And you can get in touch with us uh, by regular old email. G- um, sorry, yesterladies at gmail.com. That's our email address. Um, and as always, we're always loving 
uh, feedback, um, especially when it's kind. Um, although to be fair, we haven't gotten any nasty feedback. So true. don't, true. don't start that trend, please. Just keep the, <laughs> keep the really kind feedback coming. Cause we do really like that. And topic suggestions. We love those. And I will say it one more time. Uh, if you've got ideas for Canadian topics, we would love to hear them because, uh, we're preparing our special Canada day extravaganza episode. Uh, so look for that on June 30th. Mm -hmm. That will be released. Um, and until next time I'm Dana and I'm Heather and thank you for listening.